Hey, if you're here for the first time, we are doing a series on the Lord's Prayer. It's found in Matthew chapter 6 and in Luke chapter 11. Last week, we started to, to talk about God being Father. So we asked the question, why do we have to call God Father? Today, I want to talk to you about daily bread. What is bread? Why bread? Why do I have to ask God for bread every day? Daily bread. The Lord's Prayer is one of the most familiar prayers in the Bible. In fact, I, I think that you have prayed this, you have used this prayer before. But have you ever wondered what it really means to pray for our daily bread? What does it mean to pray, give us this day our daily bread? I don't know if this is you. I don't know if you can relate to this, but let me know. Are you the type of guy who does not want to bother God, who would rather do it yourself, prepare, work hard, and maybe for the big and impossible things, that's when you bother God? Are you the type of person? If this is you, then I would say you treat prayer like medical emergencies. So you only go to your doctor on annual checkups on when you're sick. Uh, when you're when there's an emergency. So when you pray like this, you treat prayer like a medical emergency. And if you can relate to this, I'm saying you got this wrong. If this sermon is for you. I would say that if prayer is only when you need God's assistance, then you got this wrong. If prayer is only for emergencies, then you got this wrong. If prayer is only when you need for the you need assistance for the big and impossible things, then you got this all wrong. You see, Jesus taught prayer like communion. Let me say that again. Jesus taught prayer like a communion. See, the prayer of communion is something that we need every day. You breathe air every day. You eat every day. You sleep and rest every day. This is something that we need to do every day. This is something that your soul needs every day to commune with God. So the prayer goes like this, Matthew 6, 9 through 11. It says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then give us this day our daily bread. When you come to pray this prayer, you'd probably have this assumption that the first two sentences are introductions. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, the prayer does not start with give us this day our daily bread. Here's the point. The prayer does not start with your shopping list. The prayer starts with our Father in heaven. It's an acknowledgement that God is in heaven and he's the one who's giving us what we need today. What this means is that this prayer starts with our Father in heaven. There are no flowery words. There are no highfalutin titles. There are no fancy addresses to God. You go straight to our Father in heaven. Why is that? Because prayer is about communion with God. So when you pray, you connect with God, you enter His presence, you commune with God. It is like you are being invited to come to the table and dine with God. It's communion time. That is prayer. Have you ever wondered what David wrote in Psalm 23? Anyone who knows Psalm 23? It starts with, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Very beautiful poetry, Psalm. But then in verse 5, there's something really interesting here that's connected with communing with God. Verse 5 says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. 
Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, this is kind of interesting because dwell in the house of the Lord forever is kind of self-explanatory. This is the house of God. You are meant to dwell in the house. The desire of David is to dwell in the house of God, to go in the house of God, to be in the temple. The question is, what are you going to do in the temple of God? What is in the temple of God? You see, the image of the temple is the image of Psalm 23. When you go to Psalm 23 verse 1, it's like communing with God. It's like going to the green pastures, drinking still waters. Your soul is refreshed. That's what happens inside the temple. Communing with God is eating the green pastures, drinking still waters, refreshing your soul. That is what it's like to commune with God. So the prayer for bread means communion with God. And the communion with God is like Psalm 23. But watch closely what happens here. Because Psalm 23 closely corresponds the 40 years in the wilderness. Now I'm, I'm trying to be, I'm trying to give you information here, but I don't want to get confused. Now we're shifting. Matthew chapter six, the Lord's prayer asking for bread is like Psalm 23 eating the green pastures and drinking still waters. But Psalm 23 looks like Exodus experience the 40 years in the wilderness. How so? Look at verse five again. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What this, what does it mean? What does it mean for God to say you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies? When did this happen? Now, I want you to think, to teleport yourself to the Old Testament and think about Exodus where God gave the people of Israel manna for 40 years. Manna as in bread from heaven. Imagine this. They are in the wilderness. They are surrounded by enemies. And every day for 40 years, God is bringing them bread. It's like God is serving breakfast every day in the presence of their enemies. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Do you get it? This is beautiful. The image of God serving breakfast in the wilderness is preparing a table for them. And how is this described? Psalmist says, my cup overflows. It's not just scars. They are overflowing. The bread is overflowing. The water is overflowing. So the bread of the Lord's prayer points to the green pastures in Psalm 23. And the green pastures in Psalm 23 resembles the bread from heaven in the wilderness for 40 years. This whole idea of bread from heaven in the wilderness is the same thing, is the same image that goes back to the Garden of Eden. Now I'm going to add one more image here, the Garden of Eden. So Matthew 6, prayer, the Lord's prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. It's Psalm 23. He leads me in green pastures. And green pasture is like manna from heaven. And manna from heaven goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Now, why is that? Because, because the impression is that Eden has been prepared by God to give us everything that we need. Heaven mentions the first bread in the Bible. Now, it doesn't... It doesn't look much, but if you look at it, this is impressive. Now, if you think about abundance, think about God bringing bread. Think about land flowing with milk and honey. It's supposed to be the promised land. But the promised land is simply a copy of the Garden of Eden. So what God wants to give them in the promised land, land flowing with milk and honey, is promised first in the Garden of Eden, but 
Adam and Eve disobeyed God, so they were expelled from the land. But God wants to bring them back to the land. And the wilderness experience was a foretaste of what it means to eat the bread, to have your fill, to be in the promised land, flowing with milk and honey. So these are all connected. So when we pray today, give us this day our daily bread, we are also thinking about Psalm 23, Exodus experience, the Garden of Eden. We are going back to that place where God is providing for everything that we need. What exactly then is the connection between daily bread and the Garden of Eden? Look at Genesis chapter 3. This is interesting. And Adam said, and to Adam he said, now God is talking to Adam here, because you have listened to the voice of your wife. Now, in my personal case, when we go shopping, I do not listen to my wife. We save a lot of money in that sense. I don't know about you. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and you have eaten the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Curse is the ground because of you. Now, because of the disobedience of Adam and Eve, the land was cursed. The ground was cursed. That means anything that grows from the ground is cursed. And it says, in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. Vegetarians, are you listening? You're in trouble here. <laughs> it says, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. The first time it was mentioned here in the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, you shall eat bread in pain until you return to the ground. It's not a pleasurable eating of bread. It's eating in pain. The bread that Adam will eat outside of the garden is the exact reversal of the bread that God provided for the Israelites in the 40 years of wilderness wandering. That means the bread in the wilderness was a foretaste of the privilege that Adam lost in the Garden of Eden. They were supposed to have this bread, but they lost the privilege because they disobeyed God. This bread in the wilderness is like the invitation, if you think about it, to lie down in green pastures, to drink still waters, to refresh your soul. It's all interconnected to each other. But this invitation to eat the bread from heaven has a purpose. So think of 40 years in the wilderness, bread raining every morning, and they're getting the bread from heaven. What's the purpose of all this? Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Very interesting. It says, And he humbled you and let you hunger and feed you with manna. Now, the literal translation of manna is, what is it? Manna. Uh, what is it? <laughs> manna. What is it? Because they don't know. The first time they see it, it, they're asking, what is it? Manna. And it says, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know, watch this, that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Does this sound familiar? Yes? Because exactly this is, it should be familiar. This is what Jesus responded to the serpent, to the devil, when he was tempted in the wilderness after 40-day fast. He quoted Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Man does not live by bread alone. What this means is that the experience of Israel to trust God for bread was a test. They were there for 40 years in a test. And God was giving them this. Now the question is, was it accidental? That when Jesus was tempted, he was also in the wilderness. As Israel was tempt, as tested for 40 years, Jesus was also there for 40 days. See, they both have the same problem. Problems were 
hunger, and food. I'd like you to put yourself in the shoes of an Israelite father or mother in the wilderness right now. Just imagine. You're a father or mother. You're in the wilderness. You're in, in the middle of the desert. There's no food. There, you cannot obviously grow crops. You have no way to, to, to fish. There's very scarce meat. There's no food. The pantry is, there's nothing in the pantry. And your kids are hungry. What are you going to do? What's going through your mind? You see, that temptation to go back to Egypt, the temptation to go back to Egypt and suffer the consequence is there. It's reality. And that's why when you read the books of Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the people have been flip-flopping. One day they will say, I will follow God. I will go to the promised land. Second day, we have no food. Let's go back to Egypt. I mean, the temptation is real because hunger is real. That's why God has to bring this food every day, every day. Imagine what goes through your mind. There's temptation to go back to Egypt. But in Egypt, you know that you will have to accept slavery again. So the, the choice is between I go back to Egypt, I become a slave, but I'm full. Or I wait for God for tomorrow's bread. I go to the promised land. I become full too, but I have to wait. So the problem really is waiting. See, the temptation for Israel is to abandon the journey, to go back to Egypt. The temptation is to doubt the ability of God and his faithfulness to provide what Egypt has provided them for. And you might probably think, my kids are hungry. What am I going to do about this now, today? As in, no bread. What am I going to do, God? You said you, you promised you will be faithful. You promised. I have promised land flowing with milk and honey, but I need it now, today. Daily bread. The question is, how are we going to survive the wilderness? Now, make no mistake about it. The bread is secondary. Trusting in God's greater plan and promise is primary. That's why before you pray for give us this day our daily bread, first you pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is primary. The bread is secondary. This is also the reason why Jesus was willing to fast or to extend his fast then turn the stones into bread. What did the devil say? You're hungry. 40 days is already passed. You're going to die after 40 days. Turn the stones into bread. See all these stones in here? You can make them bread. You see, think about this one. This is fascinating to me. If Jesus can multiply bread, and he did twice, for 5,000 and 4,000, what's stopping him from making bread rain from heaven and repeat what happened in the wilderness? Nothing. He can do that. If Jesus can command the evil spirits to come out from a person, what's stopping Jesus from commanding the DoorDash angels to bring food to him in the wilderness? Nothing. But he did not. Why? Because he trusted the Father for provisions. What was he thinking? I think he was thinking of Deuteronomy chapter 8. He was thinking of manna from heaven. He was absolutely committed to the Father. He wants to please the Father. He waited for the Father just to simply do nothing and trust the Father. Because to pray this prayer is to assume an absolute trust in the Father. And that's hard. Absolute trust is hard. Absolute trust is hard when you don't see it. 
There's no food. There's no water. What am I going to do? It's hard to have faith when you don't see. You see, the bread is about the metaphor for our needs. When we pray, give us this day the Lord's their daily bread, we're really not expecting a sourdough or a baguette to fall from heaven, right? It's a metaphor for our needs. That's the bread. Here's the scenario. In the wilderness, every morning, the people, the Israelites, were commanded to spread out and pick this flaky substance from the ground. It's called manna. It falls during the dew. This is what it says in Numbers 11. Now, the manna was like a coriander seed. A coriander seed is a very small kind of seeds. And its appearance is like that of bedellium. Bedellium is like a gum resin. It's reddish, maroonish. And the people went about and gathered it and ground it in hand mills or beat it in mortars and boiled it in the pots and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was like a taste of cakes baked with oil. When the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell with it. So they have to gather every morning. It's a daily thing. And it only happens in the morning. Now, I haven't personally seen manna uh, because this phenomenon only happened once for 40 years in the wilderness. It was not repeated again. I tried to search the whole Bible. There was only one occurrence in the wilderness for 40 days. That means... This occurrence happened like a miracle. So that's why they call this bread from heaven. Bread from heaven. Now you see, the daily bread that we pray, the bread that God provides is a metaphor for God's faithfulness. I know that the bread is a metaphor for our needs. But when we pray for our daily bread, we're praying for God's faithfulness. It's really not about the bread. It's really about the faithfulness of God. Why do I say that? Because the Lord's Prayer used a very specific word that only occurred once in the Bible and never repeated again. The English translation for that is daily. If you're interested in the Greek word, it's epiusios. Okay, it's daily. Of course, there are many daily English words in the Bible, but this word, when the scholars translated it, they have no way to translate it but daily. So when you pray, give us this day or give us today our daily bread, it sounds redundant because it's today's bread and give us daily bread. So it, it sounds redundant, redundant. So the scholars who translated this were asking, is it about the bread for today or the bread for tomorrow? If it's about the bread for today and the bread for tomorrow, how much bread do we need? I mean, yeah, I'm a big eater. Maybe I need two loaves of bread. I'm on a diet. Maybe I just need one. So how much bread is enough? Now, the first time they gathered manna in the wilderness, they gathered manna for two days worth. The instruction, though, was for them to only gather what is enough for the day, only for one day. Only for one day. And yet the people who were used to be slaves in Egypt, they're not used to, you know, just for today. They want to gather as much as possible. So the people gathered for two days worth, today and for the following day. And surprise, surprise, the manna they gathered the following day was spoiled. What's the lesson? The lesson is to trust that God, who is our Father, is able to provide and faithful not to forget. That is the lesson in the wilderness, that God can be trusted to bring food, not just today, also the next day, the next week, the next month, the next year. God is able to provide because he is our father. What did Jesus say about God the Father? 
Jesus talked about this reality. Jesus, God is Father, and you can trust Him. He said, Matthew chapter 7. He was talking about the goodness of the Father. He said in Matthew 7 verse 9, Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him stone? Nobody does that. Or if he asks for fish, will give him serpent? You don't do that. And he said, if then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who asked him? I mean, if God is by nature good Father, then he will give good things. That's the nature of being a father. To call God Father is to trust his fatherly nature. God has genuine concern for his children. The idea behind daily food is daily trust. The idea behind managing and gathering daily is to trust God daily so that you would know that man does not live on bread alone. What it means is that your survival in the wilderness does not depend on the bread. It depends on the faithfulness of God to bring down bread again tomorrow. That is, that is what it means. To not trust in the bread. It, it depends on the fact that God has our best interest in mind. And what it means is that our survival and flourishing does not depend on the bread. Brothers and sisters, the guarantee that you will flourish here in the, in the United States or in any country is because God is with you, not because of your jobs. It's because God is with you. It's because of God's presence. It's because of God's faithfulness. You see, other English translate the Bible, give us this day our daily bread to be, give us today tomorrow's bread. It's kind of confusing. Give us today tomorrow's bread, as if you're asking today the bread for tomorrow. Now, is it really the case? I think the best way to understand what this epiusius daily means is to go back to a story in John chapter 4 where Jesus and the Samaritan woman met at a well. And this will clarify a lot of things about this daily thing. So in John chapter 4, Jesus was traveling from Judea to Galilee, and he had to pass by Samaria. Now, there's a lot of things going on here. But Judea is the capital. It's in the south, like Florida. And these people from Judea believe themselves to be the real Jews. If they would do DNA tests today, they would say 80% to 99%, we are Jews. We live in Judea. The people in Samaria, it's kind of a different thing. The people in Samaria are mixed blood. They are the people who intermarried with Gentiles during the time of exile. These are also part of the people who rebelled against, uh, against Solomon in the time of Jeroboam. So they're not pure Jews. So Samaritans, Jews. The Jews do not consider Samaritans to be Jews. They are second citizens, second class. So Jesus was traveling from Judea to Galilee, passing by Samaria. And he stopped by a well. It's in the middle of the day. It's hot. He passed by a well because maybe he wants to drink from the well. And there was this woman who came to draw water. You know the story. So Jesus made an introduction. Can you give me water? And this woman said, you are a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. We should not be talking. You're breaking protocol. Are you nuts? Oh, okay, that's my translation. Okay. So that's the whole idea. And Jesus said this, John chapter 4, verse 10, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. What's living water? 
Now, here's the question. The girl, the woman was confused because Jesus was first asking for water and then he's saying, if you know that I have water, you would have asked me water. How can you ask water if you have water? And where's the living water? So the woman was confused. Where, what is this living water all about? Now, for clarity, when the Bible talks about living water, don't spiritualize it. It just simply means it's flowing water. It's water from the fountain or water from a well or water from a river or from a spring. It's flowing. It's not dead. It's living water. That's what it means to be, to, to say living water. So Jesus claims that he has a source of living water. So in, in the woman's understanding, what Jesus was trying to tell is that there's maybe another well out there, another spring out there, another river out there that is a source of living water. So she said, give it to me. I, I want to I wanna have it. Now, a strange phenomenon, you don't go to the well in the middle of the day. It's hot. But this woman had to go there because she doesn't want competition. Another reason is because she was, she was having a season in her life, uh, in her personal life, and she has sexual issues. So the, she doesn't want competition. She doesn't want gossip. She, she was doing there, drawing from the well by herself in the middle of the day. And Jesus was like saying, I have living water. So this woman said, give that to me so that I won't have to come back here and draw from the well. Maybe I can go to that wherever that source is. And maybe that's mine. Now, Jesus had to clarify this understanding of the woman. He said this in verse 13. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Now, Jesus is not, did, did not commit any pronoun mistake here because this is generic, you know. The water that I will give him will become in him, a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This sounds very spiritual, but it's really not. Now, wait a minute. Is this kind of water that Jesus was offering, living water, spring water, is this an, a different kind of water? Is this like Pellegrino or Peri Perrier, some special kind of water? This must be something else. See, water, this water, according to Jesus, won't make you thirsty again. So this woman wanted it. Give it to me, sir, that I won't have to come back here. What exactly did Jesus mean by this kind of water? Either you drink it once and you never go thirsty again, or it simply means I'm giving you a source, a source that will never run out of water, therefore it's 24-7 available to you. Water that never runs out. In your house, if your drinking water is delivered, say, for example, by a company called Sefer Hills, a lot of you do that. Sometimes you run out of water. You forget to, if, you know, you have to ask for delivery. Sometimes you forget, so you get thirsty. But if your drinking water in-house comes from a faucet that is filtered, then it's 24-7 available to you. That is what Jesus actually mean when he said living water. Water that never runs out. It's available to you 24-7. And Jesus is claiming, I have this kind of source. I know a source of a water that never runs out. Here's what we're going to do. I want you to transport yourself again back to the Old Testament in the wilderness. In the wilderness, they have manna every day. Now, God is the first one to invent this unlimited bread. Have you ever heard of it? 
unlimited bread happen in the wilderness. Okay, so they have unlimited bread every day. They also have unlimited water every day. How so? Because if they have been there for 40 years, you cannot survive without water. God has to give them water. Correct? Here's how Paul describes it. 1 Corinthians 10. He said, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. He's talking about the crossing of the Red Sea. And all were baptized into Moses and in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food. He was talking about the manna. And all drank the same spiritual drink. What is this? For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Now, Apostle Paul here is allegorizing, but what he really meant was, he was talking about God's provision for 40 years of water. Now, there are two instances in the Bible, in the Old Testament, where God provided water from a rock. And, And Moses apparently was mentioning this, that the water came from a rock. But there are also other instances where after crossing the Red Sea, they came to a spring, 12 springs. So rocks or springs, source of water. That's what it means. What Jesus is telling the woman is that there is another source of a different kind of water, water that never runs out. Water that not only quenches your thirst, but also refreshes your soul. So when we pray, give us today our daily bread, we are in fact praying for bread that never runs out. We are also, in fact, praying for water that never runs out. When we say, give us this day our daily bread, I pray, Lord, that your provision does not run out. That's what you're trying to pray about. See, God's faithfulness is really about him being a father. That's why we say our father. His fatherly nature is the basis why he would provide food every day. I have never heard my kids tell me and complain about paying bills in the house. Never. I've never heard. Have you? I have uh, 11 and 5. I've never heard them complain about or stressed out saying, Dad, I don't have money. I want to pay for the mortgage. Never, never heard them. Because as long as they stay in my house, they know that I'm paying for everything. That food and water will never run out. What I'm saying is that as long as you're under God, as long as you're calling God your father, know this, food does not run out. That is what it means to say God is faithful. It never runs out. See, praying for bread is about understanding that the faithfulness of God, our father, never runs out. It's not about the bread. It's about the faithfulness of God. See, one of the most basic human fears is the dread of economic privation. See, most of us have no problem with food and daily sustenance. We can always go to food banks. There are churches and NGOs who distribute food. Our problem really is something else. Our problem is mortgage. Yeah, you can, can you relate, relate to me? Because that's my problem too. Our problem is mortgage. Our problem is credit card bills and other bills. Here's your question. I may have a job today, but what will happen if I get sick? What will happen if a member of my family gets sick? What will happen if I cannot work anymore? What will happen if I lose my job? How are we going to survive? See, one of the most crippling and deepest fears is the fear of not having enough. 
To pray the Lord's Prayer is to pray for deliverance from this existential fear of the what-ifs. We have so many what-ifs in life. What if this happens? What if that happens? What is going to happen to me? What if, what if, what if? God is faithful even though you have a lot of what-ifs. Jesus, having to give up everything and follow the Father's will, fully understand this fear. So on one hand, we are faced with the reality that we are living in a physical life. We go hungry. But on the other hand, we are also confronted by the fact that the kingdom of God is a spiritual reality. God reigns not just in heaven, but also on earth. So how do we respond? How do we approach this dilemma? I believe that it's not a matter of choosing from either or the other. I think it's about choosing your priority. Listen to what Jesus said in the same chapter, Matthew 6. He said this, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. God is not denying what you need, that you need food, water, and shelter, or clothing. But he said, seek First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That is priority. And all these things will be added unto you. That is secondary. Praying for the kingdom of God and his righteousness is priority. The bread is secondary. See, seeking after the kingdom of God is our priority. Let me say this. When we pray for daily bread, we're praying for bread, not cake. What does it mean? We're praying for what is necessary. We're praying for what is enough, not the extravagant. Of course, you can always pray for the extravagant. But daily bread is about today, what is enough. And you probably might say, Pastor, aren't we promised by God that Christian life should be abundant? See, Christian life is an abundant life. But Christian life is not the abundance of food and water. It's about being close to the source, the source that never runs out. That as long as you are with the source, your life is abundant. Think about Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. It's not about the green pastures. He leads me besides. The shepherd is the one who looks for green pastures and still waters. It's about being close to the source. The shepherd. It's about being close to the shepherd. See, abundance is about being satisfied with the bread of today, not the bread of tomorrow. To pray daily bread is to pray for the bread who came from heaven and to long for the one who said, I am the bread of life. In reality, when you pray this bread every day, you would come to a deep realization that is Jesus is what you need. The bread of life who came down from heaven. See, our focus as citizens of the kingdom is no longer Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's not. It has shifted now. It's a different one. It's not about working hard for retirement. It's not about making sure that I have good health insurance. Our focus should be, how do I advance the kingdom of God today? Because I'm prioritizing the kingdom of God. How do I show God's presence in my life with my family, with my neighbors, with my friends, with my coworkers today? Because my priority is the kingdom of God in his righteousness. To pray for bread every day is first to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of calling you our Father. Thank you for the privilege of coming to you in communion, knowing that all our fears can be extinguished if we just come to you and just trust you that you will provide for our deeds. Father, help us to see your fatherly nature. Help us to see your love. Help us feel the presence of the Holy Spirit so that we never have to worry. We never have to be anxious about anything. Father, we confess that sometimes we are we're so overwhelmed with problems. We're so overwhelmed with bills. We're so overwhelmed with other problems that we forget that you are enough for us. Father, help us trust you more. Trust you that you love us. Trust you that you're faithful. Trust you that you are able to provide for us. Trust you that you love us. You're good. Your goodness never fails. And if we can look back to our life, we can always count our blessings. Might be a cliche, but that is true. You have never failed us. I pray that today you will inspire us again. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.